Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Property Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Live from MMA Fighting Studios, this is between the links and now your host mike heck the iconic voice of esther lynn welcomes you to a brand new edition of between the links here on mmafighting.com the final btl of 2021 and i said this last week and i'll say it again this week for those expecting the finale of the btl championship tournament it's going to have to wait until the new year, all right? As you may have seen, our good friend Jed Bashu has been a little bit under the weather. So the plan is for right now, although as we have seen in this crazy sport of ours and in this media space, nothing is guaranteed in this world. But the plan is for right now, next week on BTL, Jed Mishu versus Phoenix Carnivale in the finale to crown an undisputed BTL champion. That is the plan, that is the hope, and that is what we are preparing for. So stay tuned for that. A nice little New Year's treat to kick off 2022. But I didn't want to leave everybody hanging this week. Like I said, Jed under the weather. So the initial plan was to do some sort of BTL roundtable with him. Obviously, that is not going to happen. So... I decided to, to think outside of the box. What am I going to do? How can we make the people happy? So I reached out to my old friend, John Anik, who I haven't spoken to in quite some time. And I reached out and I said, hey, a lot to discuss for 2021. 2022 is going to be really interesting. Do you want to come on? We'll hit record. We'll shoot the breeze and we'll talk about all of this stuff. And he said, absolutely. So in a matter of moments... We're going to get you to that conversation with the lead play-by-play voice for the Ultimate Fighting Championship, Mr. John Anik. We'll take a short break, and when we come back, you will hear that near 40-minute conversation in its entirety right here on a very special roundtable edition of Between the Links. John Anik coming up next. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, 
live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so we have a very special guest in the program this week as we take a look back on an incredible year for the Ultimate Fighting Championship and look ahead to what 2022 can bring and who better to do that with than with the man who is the lead voice for a lot of these massive moments of this past year, the head commentator for the UFC, one half of the Anakin Florian podcast dream team, and honestly, one of my favorite people in the business, Mr. John Anik. It has been too long, sir. How are you? Thank you, buddy. It's good to be with you, man. It's uh, it's a good time to be a UFC fan. You know, I really is. I mean, I can't think about a year more anticipated as the one that's forthcoming with all the depth that we have. So uh, it's an exciting time. I've enjoyed the respite. Don't get me wrong. I needed a chance to, to reset, as I know you did and a lot of other people did. But um, I'm jonesing for a live event at this point, as most people are after a week or two away. I'm glad you said that about 2022, just sort of turning the calendar and seeing what this all brings. Cause when we look back on like the history of the UFC, John, and you were there 2016 probably has to be the most memorable and storyline driven year of all time for the UFC. Cause 2016 was insane with the, the two Connor Nate fights, UFC 200, the whole John Jones thing, Brock Lesnar coming back, MSG legalizing in New York, Connor becoming the two division champion. And so, Oh yeah. The sale of the company. I mean, it's really hard to top that year from a new standpoint, but man, like you said, wrapping up 2021, heading into 2022, there are so many questions that are left unanswered. So many interesting things that happened that don't have a conclusion yet. In terms of like storylines that transpired and the intrigue that a UFC calendar year brings to an upcoming year, is this the is this the number one? Well, like where does this one rank for you? Well, it's crazy, right? We sit here and don't even know when the February shows are going to be, right? So that's a big part of all of this, and. You know, the octagon size is a whole different conversation. I promise I won't go too far down that path. It's a completely different sport, by the way, in the apex with no fans and a little 25 footer. Um, but we don't even know where the live events are going to be. So I think as much as there had been some luxuries and some liberties at having these events in the apex, I think a lot, a lot of us look forward to hitting the road and going to Oklahoma City and going to New Orleans and actually being in that type of environment and allowing the athletes that 
chance to shine. Um, but yeah, man, a lot of the divisions, we're going to get clarity. You know, we got a couple of interim championship situations. We have a trilogy um, between Figueredo and Moreno that I think needs finality. So uh, yeah, man, a lot to look forward to. Hamza Chimaev and Marab Dwalishwili and um, the candy men, as I like to call those two now. Um, so a lot of big things coming up in 2022. This might be a, t- a tough question for you to answer, or maybe not, because of all the moments that happened, all the fights you got to call, the performances you got to see. You know, you and I talked in depth about Max Holloway's performance against Calvin Cater and where that one ranked for you in terms of overall showings inside the octagon. But when you think back about all the moments you got to call, all the crazy fights you got to to, to be a part of, what stands out the most for you? Like, what's the story you're going to tell your grandkids someday about 2021 in the UFC? Well as is immortalized behind me. And we talked about Max Holloway and Calvin Cater, right? It's hard not to lead there because it was the first UFC live event on ABC. And had it happened in any other month in 2021, it would be getting the shine that it deserves. I mean, nobody's even mentioning Holloway when it comes to his 2021. And even though it didn't hold a championship, for my money, it had the singular greatest performance that I've ever witnessed with my own eyes, right? So um, it was a memorable year, man. I mean, certainly when Conor McGregor fights it it feels otherworldly and because he and dustin poirier had so much to solve and i guess some of it remains a little bit unsolved but that was a, a memorable part of 2021 for sure i mean charles Oliveira is my fighter of the year and seeing him break through when you think of some of the different peaks and valleys uh in his ufc career i think in a lot of respects for him it was about finding the right division um chandler gaethje of course um you know alexander volkanovsky and t city uh on and on it goes man right i mean i say to you all the time as a friend and a colleague like they, these live events run together and i say that in probably an unflattering way but it's hard we turn the page so quickly now we get a chance to decompress it's like i mean i could highlight 25 30 guys right now yeah, I mean, you mentioned Oliveira. I mean, 2021, John, was a year where Oliveira, Brandon Moreno, Glover Teixeira, and Juliana Pena became UFC world champions. Like, this is unbelievable stuff, man. Right, and Francis Ngannou as well, who right. is the most terrifying power puncher that I have ever seen them lock that octagon door behind. So, yeah, I mean, when new champions emerge, I have said at long wind in the past that, for me, the best part of the job is seeing somebody break through and become a UFC champion for the first time. Brandon Moreno, you know, choking out uh, Davis and Figueredo, um, Jan Bohovic, which was probably 2020, right? Um, Glover Teixeira at 42 damn years old, you know, uh, and Juliana Pena. What else can you say? Give her all the goddamn trophies, you know, incredible, incredible year. Which, which one of those new champions sort of tugged on the heartstrings most? Like you can make an argument for all of them, but in my eyes, like I don't get on-site event coverage FOMO very often, but watching Brandon Moreno becoming the flyweight champion of the world in that building in Phoenix, good Lord, man, the reaction that the, that the fans are giving him, the moment of reflection before it all kind of settled in upon him, that was one of those moments where I was like, damn, I wish I could have been in that building to watch that happen. What was like the, the heartstring tug championship moment for you this year? Yeah, well, and Moreno's Mr. Congeniality and for Mexico to have a homegrown, you know, Mexican-born champion, uh, it's huge. So I would hate to almost go down the lane of of championing anybody else's cause than Brandon's, um, you know, but I don't know, man, what Juliana Pena was able to do. I mean, I remember Rick Little showing me training footage of her 
years and years ago and you know privately just showing me just how mean and vicious and skilled right like she finally believes in her skills um so that's what it's all about right i mean a mother changing her her daughter's life forever with one singular performance so uh i don't know man it's the greatest sport in the world like it really is i mean and that says nothing of just the sport itself the mixing of the martial arts we're just talking about breakthrough moments and uh, obviously last year there were a lot of them was that like watching Juliana Payne? Like we saw your reaction on camera. The, the UFC does a great job of patching all that stuff. But I mean, you're sitting there and you can you try to keep it professional. But if you're sitting at home on the couch with some buddies watching this happen, right. your reaction is going to be much different. So, like, what was that like to 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 watch and and try to call? Because I mean, man, that's that's like a Red Sox comeback from three zero kind of moment. Nobody saw it coming. Well, and it came quickly in this fight too, right? I mean, she was a little bit dejected on the stool and maybe that's the wrong way to put it, but she had to sort of be repurposed, did Juliana Pena on the stool after round one. She didn't win round one. So yeah, man, we're just reacting, right? I mean, Joe Rogan aptly put it, right? Professional fans, that's what we are. You know, I'd love to see what our reaction would be if we were doing a fight companion with him in Austin, Texas. You know, it would just be swears nonstop, right? Like, it's it's a crazy thing because there's so many moments where we just want to sit back and be like, oh, my God, oh, my oh man, you know, and yet we're charged with providing historical context and the soundtrack for these moments. So I don't even remember what I said when Juliana Pena broke through. I remember saying Nunez retreats. That felt like the sort of swing moment as far as the commentary was concerned. But yeah, man, a lot of crazy moments in that booth. I can assure you we're not playing it up for the little camera in front of Joe Rogan. You know, um, we are in the moment like every fan watching around the world. That the biggest upset in UFC history, in your opinion? Yeah, I think so. Right. I mean, I really look forward to I think it's easier to put it in context when we see the rematch between Amanda Nunes and Juliana Pena, if that makes any sense. Right. Um, but, yeah, I think it is. You know, I mean, certainly you can point to other upsets in terms of the betting line where maybe you could argue it. Um, I still think Holly Holm against Ronda Rousey is in this class, although there were more people like Rashad Evans and others who were saying assuredly that Holly Holm was going to win before that fight happened. You had to look far and wide to find people picking Juliana Pena to win this fight. So uh, I'm not the greatest historian in the world, despite, you know, calling fights now for 10 years for the UFC. But yeah, if you're asking me here late December, 2021, yeah, that's the biggest upset in UFC history. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's all it's all like personal preference too, like where you were, what was going on. Like, I, I still feel like Matt Sarah beating GSP is just the way it came about. Like, he was out of the UFC, was on a, the Ultimate Fighter comeback season. Many people felt he lost his the, the fight uh, to to get to to the title shot against GSP, and he goes in there and just bolts him in the first round. Like that that, that to me is going to be really tough to beat, but. It's nice to have Juliana Pena have that moment because now we have a discussion. This is a clear cut discussion. Like Holm Rousey, I think people saw a lot on the scale, like on the scale and the face off. Maybe Rousey was kind of like, I don't know. It's it's so hard, John, in the sport to bring your A plus game all these times as a world champion. Well, like it's, it's so about. hard to do. Exactly. I don't know if this is a changing of the guard. I know that Juliana Pena is supremely well coached. And for all these coaches, Rick Little, Luis Claudio, everybody else to break through, it's a big deal. But Floyd Mayweather was never flat on fight night. Say what you want about when he fought Canelo Alvarez and when he strategically fought certain guys um, and started slowly against Sugar Shane Mosley and even against Conor McGregor and still always found a way on fight night. Kamaru Usman, never flat on fight night. He's been sick. He's been injured. He's been hurt in fights. You know, you're right. You hit on something. 
to never be flat on flight night, it's difficult. And that's why I think we have to see the rematch before we can historically put this in proper context. Because I think if Amanda Nunes comes out and dusts Juliana Pena in the rematch or beats her like 50 to 42 over, you know, 25 minutes, then I think maybe we can say that that was the biggest upset in UFC history. Maybe we can chalk it up to a flat night for Amanda Nunes, but um, I don't know, man, Amanda has been very coachable, very disciplined, very mistake free. And for one reason or another, another without taking credit away from Juliana Pena, um, she did not have it that night. I think Rick little was so pivotal in that fight. Like maybe Juliana looked dejected on the, uh, on the stool and we, and only like a few people know the true answer to that. But Rick Little was so good in that spot. He woke her right up, told her, like, listen, you're doing exactly what I told you to do. Like, you had a great round. And yeah. it just, you almost saw, like, Juliana Pena's eyes light up. Like, you know what? You're right. And then we just saw this, like, completely different animal come out there. Like, I feel like Rick Little is one of those guys who just doesn't get the credit he deserves because that was brilliant cornering. He said exactly what needed to be said. And I think we could put him almost on the, on the James Krause level where it comes to, hey, this guy knows his fighter so well. He knows exactly what to say. That was one of those moments that I feel like isn't getting talked about enough. What Rick Little had to say to her and what changed in Juliana Pena heading into from round one to round two. I love Rick Little and uh, I can't sing his praises loud enough, you know, and I feel like he's not one of these credit or attention seekers, you know, which I certainly like. And the same can be said for Luis Claudio and these other guys. A lot of it's been about just getting her to believe in her skills. And that's what Claudio said to me on the bus ride to, to the airport um, after Juliana had broke through the day after. And yeah, man, Rick Little's awesome. You know, I remember when he was sort of criticized back in the day because his fighters don't check leg kicks, you know, and obviously things have changed. I don't know if his fighters still don't check leg kicks. Maybe they do. Um, but yeah, he sticks to his guns and obviously he believes in his athletes and his system. And for so many of these coaches, my dear friend, the general Safe Saud, all he's trying to do is produce one homegrown UFC champion, and then maybe he'll retire, you know, and Rick Little's got a UFC champion, you know, you can never take that away from him. That's the ultimate accomplishment. Now, Bill Belichick, maybe he is not with, you know, a boat called eight rings or whatever it is, right. But it's like for all these coaches, right. You'll go home to your wife, you know, whatever your paycheck or whatever your sacrifice has been as a mixed martial arts coach, Rick Little's got a UFC champion forever. And uh, in many respects, I would think for him, it's like mission accomplished. We'll see, you know? Yes. <laughs> so you mentioned Justin Gaethje versus Michael Chandler. That was our fight of the, like our consensus fight of the year. And it seemed like an easy pick for a lot of people. And as great as that fight was, I think, I think I actually picked that as like the third best fight of the year. Jan yeah. Sanhagen for me was so incredible at number two. I actually had Yuri Prohashka versus Dominic Reyes at number one because that fight was just pure chaos. That was one of those fights where I literally couldn't sit down because I, I mean, it was almost it was almost that like Ngannou Stipe first round in Boston kind of feel where I was just like something insane is going to happen. I'm just waiting for it. It was just pure chaos the entire way. And the finish was absolutely incredible, especially knowing that Yuri was in trouble earlier in that round. But we were spoiled this year. Like we were just, it was a richly spoiled year with tremendous fights. But is Gaethje Chandler your number one, or do you see yeah. it almost similar? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't I there for I wasn't there for Yair Rodriguez and Max Holloway, but certainly that fight is going to end up in the conversation. Um, Rob Wallace, Willie, and Marlon Marais with all the back and forth of that fight for sure. But yeah, it's Gaethje Chandler for me, you know. Uh, and I also do think that there is a lean to the fourth quarter of the year. There just is, you know, and I can sit here and tell you till I'm blue in the face, the UFC 269 is my event of the year as if anyone really cares. Right. But it ain't cause it was in December. 
You know, I mean, there were a lot of things that made that my event of the year and what Michael Chandler, you know, fault him, if you may, as an MMA coach for sort of taking that approach against Justin Gaethje. But um, he put himself into the UFC Hall of Fame, at least in the fight wing with uh, with that fight and that approach and that performance and that heart and that skill and everything else. So, um, you know, Gaethje's the man. But Chandler obviously was uh, a very willing other side of all that. I actually meant to to ask you this question, like on a personal level, because you obviously called the card and there's some changes made because Trevor Whitman was was pulling triple duty on that main card. But to start the main card off with a fight like that, a fight that everybody knew was going to be absolutely bananas. And then you have Shane Burgos and Billy Q who put on an incredible fight of their own. But it was almost like almost like a fan letdown because they were so into the first fight. Like the, the fight as a whole, like if you turn the volume down and watch Burgos and Billy Q, just like you appreciate it so much, but here in the crowd, it was like, it happened in Japan. You know, you got like some claps here and there. And then people started to sort of get into it as, as the car, as the fight continued on into the third round. But do you, as a broadcaster, do, would you prefer it? If the Chandler Gaethje type fights kick off all these main cards, you put the banger right off, off the batter. Does that not matter to you? Well, I think Justin Gaethje needs to fight in the main event, right? I mean, let's be honest. Right? I mean, he's a headlining fighter. But no, I mean, I don't ask a lot. I just want Mick Maynard and Sean Shelby, if they're watching, to not have it be 15 fights in back-to-back weeks. Because that, for me, is 60 athletes plus maybe others um, if there are short-notice replacements and things like that. So for me, bout order is is the least of my concerns, you know, unless there are late changes that really interrupt our format and our flow and things like that. But for me, the real challenge is just the volume of, of the athletes. Um, but I'm not thinking about the, the crowd or, you know, I might provide the context of the crowd not giving that fight what it deserved because everybody's, you know, smoking a joint in the bathroom or catching a breather, whatever they're doing after Chandler Gaethje. But um, yeah, can we just do 12 or 13 and not 15 fights, Michael? Heck, that'd be great. Yeah. I, w- w- that's a conversation we have all the time. Uh, like, even if you do, you know, 12, 13, it's fine. I think 12 is kind of like the sweet spot pay-per-view nights. Like f- if you want to do 15, that's fine. Cause we're all going to be the main card starts at the same time every single time. But if you want to start things at six or six 30, that's cool. But the next week to do the same thing is kind of tough. One, one idea that, that we think of is like, instead of doing like a 15 fight fight night on a Saturday, let's do like an eight fight Friday night card or like mix it up a little bit. Like let's implant things, some flags on some different days, like just mix it up a little bit. You know what I mean? Like I I'm kind of with you on that. It's, it's just a lot to ask, especially of you guys to have to prep for, for 30 fighters. And a lot of, t- especially in this era, we're getting guys and gals coming in on two, three days notice who, who are rookies who are coming in for the very first time. So now we get to, we sort of get to change the playbook, if you will. No, I mean, I remember when we had Wednesday night shows back in the day, that was fun. And I think really enjoyable for a lot of fans, especially when you still got a card on Saturday. Um, But obviously there are some challenges and budgetary concerns when it comes to putting out a live events. You can understand why they would do 15 and and not eight, maybe midweek or on a Thursday or Friday night. Um, And now that we're talking about it, Mick Maynard and Sean probably going to give me fucking 16 fights. So we should probably. (laughs) (laughs) Touche, touche. We'll move on. Um, last year, there was so much controversy around the breakout fighter of the year. Cause our consent, we, you and I talked about this. Our consensus choice was, was Hamzat Shemaev over Kevin Holland. And I wrote that article, even though I didn't even vote for Hamzat, but I understand why people did. People were calling for my resignation, John, because I yeah. picked Hamzat over Kevin Holland. It was ridiculous. So because of that, we actually switched up to, to like a rookie of the year category, but for the actual breakout fighter of the year, and I've thought about this a lot, 
and how it can be interpreted in one's own mind. This might actually be the most interesting year ever for that topic because you could go with a newcomer like a Casey O'Neill or a Manon Fioro or a Bruno Silva, but you could also make the case for Charles Oliveira, for Brandon Moreno, Juliana Pena. You could even make a compelling case for Kamara Usman being the breakout fighter of the year after leaving 2020 as the champion, but, he, but, but leaving the year and after the Mazadal fight, he had this moniker of being the boring wrestler. And then he goes out there and stops Gilbert Burns and he knocks Jorge Mazadal unconscious, which is something that just doesn't happen. And then he goes into the fire with Colby Covington with a really competitive fight. Who would you say is the actual breakout fighter of the year, the way you actually interpret it? Well, right. It's all open to interpretation. It depends what your criteria is and how you define breakthrough, right? Oftentimes on like the Anakin Florian podcast awards, I might just be looking to give a guy a trophy, right? So if Brandon Moreno doesn't get submission of the year, you know, maybe he becomes my breakthrough fighter of the year, you know, and you make a case sort of around that, you know, um, but Hamza Chimaev is probably the guy I'm going to settle on. I might have given him the award last year, but he has continued Amazing. to break through in an exceptional way. Um, I don't know how many appearances he made this year. Um, I think Sean O'Malley is certainly worthy in that category. I like Rookie of the Year because it's clearly defined. 2021, they had to have made their UFC debut in that calendar year. Um, and even though Patty Pimblett and Ian Gary both got tested, um, you know, I think Again, that rookie of the year can be open to interpretation, right? Some people could say, how, how is Ian Gary your, your rookie of the year? And it's like, well, a lot of it has to do with upside, you know, but it has to do with the nature of his win and the nature of his post-fight interview and what I perceive his upside and his appetite for MMA growth to be. So, um, yeah, I guess I'll say... Hamza Chimaev. And when you get on the Hamza train, as you know, everybody's pissed off. So, and Bilal Muhammad could certainly be breakthrough yes. fight of the year. Um, I actually took off my Bilal t-shirt before this interview because I didn't want to piss anybody off. Um, Hamza Chimaev, breakthrough fighter of the year for 2021. That's so wild, man. Cause like he was such a clear answer last year. And then he just sort of faded away as, as the sport goes away. He was dealing with, with horrible bout of COVID and he just sort of fell off the face of the earth after being so active the year before. And then he just has one fight against Lee Jing Leung and, and puts on a performance like that, like picking that man up and just like talking, having conversations with Dana White while he's got this man hoisted up in the air and then just, just runs through him. Like it was just, he might actually be the breakthrough fighter of the year without, with only having one fight. Well, the thing is, if you're asking me, like, what am I when, I, when I did the best of 2020 show for the UFC, and we didn't do one this year, but last year when we did one, we all got asked in closing, what's our dream fight in any division for 2022? And at this time a year ago, I said, Hamza Chimaya versus Colby Covington. And now it looks like that might actually happen. You know, it took a while, didn't happen in the year that I expected it might happen because of a lot of circumstances, but like, that's the dream fight. And as I spin it forward to next year, Kamzat, Marab, as I mentioned, you know, these are the athletes that I'm most looking forward to seeing them test themselves against the true divisional elite. Um, and hopefully Marab gets that opportunity because I think uh, he's the candy man for a lot of people at 135 pounds. Saying that about Marab for a really, really long time. There's lots of interesting fights for him, guys like Ricky Simone, et cetera. You oh. mentioned Colby. And I actually, um, I, I spoke with Colby a couple of weeks ago. Of course, Colby was being Colby, but he kind of like broke through the gimmick a little bit. And he pitched this idea of doing like a best of seven series with Kamara Usman. He said, they're so closely matched. And even though Usman's up 2-0 on the scorecards, there's people out there who thought Colby won the second fight. And I feel like even now, 
I mean, Shamayev could change things up pretty quickly, but I think Usman Covington, they're the two best welterweights in the world until something drastically changes. If it's not that one, John, is there like a pairing, a rivalry that you'd love to see some sort of championship series of some kind in the UFC? Like, I know this isn't Major League Baseball or the NBA and the schedules be damned and all that stuff, but what do you think? Is there like a certain rivalry right now that you're like, man, I could watch these guys fight every three months and not have to fight anybody else? Well, the next main event that I am charged with calling is Francis Ngannou against Seattle Ghan. And I mean, give me seven of those, right? You know, um, <laughs> but yeah, that's interesting coming from Colby Covington, because while I do agree with you that he and Kamaru are, are one and two in the world right now with respect to, you know, Hamzat ha! and everybody else. Right. But you have Leon Edwards, right who deserves his respect and at least his opportunity. You have Bilal Muhammad, who has one loss in his last 12 walks to the octagon. So time to remember the name. You know, if you didn't have these guys with worthy resumes, I can understand why there would be some sort of foundation for a seven game set or even, you know, giving Colby a third crack right now. Um, but I think there are big fights out there for Covington. And because the cupboard is not bare at all, I'd like to see Leon get a crack if I'm being honest, you know, and I think Leon probably will be next. Yeah. I, I it'd be kind of a, a shame at this point, unless like Usman's just going to just sit out for an extended period of time and spend time with his family, which is active as he's been, I would have no issue with that at all. And if the UFC just wanted to throw an interim title out there, just basically as a number one contender fight. And you did like Leon versus Shamayev, I'd be fine with that. As long as there's a belt attached and, yeah, guarantees him so, the Usman fight after that. Yeah, no, people get so bent out of shape about interim titles. I agree with you. Sometimes it's just a placeholder and not that big a deal. The Seattle gone thing, notwithstanding, I didn't love the way that, you know, but in certain situations, not a huge deal. But I think Kamar will be back and uh, we shall see. But a lot of good things ahead at 70 for sure. This was a really interesting year for the commentary unit as well, because, I mean, you know this, you, you there's all the Joe Rogan questions you, that you still have to answer. I'm sure you saw the pre-fight sort of drama be between Dominic Cruz and DC. I'm sure you love to talk about that. But at the same time, we saw some new faces on the studio desk. You mentioned Bilal Muhammad. We saw Laura Sanko get her shot on the Contender Series as a commentator. Hopefully we get to see her on an actual broadcast for the UFC in 2022. But I'm curious, sitting alongside and even watching when you can, who you thought grew the most from like a commentary standpoint in 2021 from a broadcasting perspective, all the guys, DC Felder, Cruz, Bisbing, they've all made strides from the previous year in their own way. But who did you see this year? That was like, boom, this guy took such a big leap forward as a professional broadcaster. You know, that's a great question. And it's hard for me to single out a man or a woman, you know, a quick rip. I would say, certainly I have said to Laura Sanko that all she needs is an opportunity on a UFC fight night. And I think she will shine and I think she will become a staple. Um, Anthony Smith comes to mind. You know, I remember coming across him calling fights when I was watching like Jason Witt film. And I was like, man, this guy's good. Like Anthony Lionheart Smith should be calling fights. And then I got a chance to work with him on the ESPN desk. And I just think he's sensational and a great sort of juxtaposition counterplay with Shale Sonnen. Um, so I thought Lionheart really emerged. Certainly nice to see Angela Hill and Bilal Muhammad get their opportunities. You know, Shale Sonnen remains just special. You know, people ask, man, how do you call 15 fights and go up and do the post show afterwards? Shale Sonnen is how. Shale Sonnen's energy is how. So I could go on all day. 
you know, Daniel Cormier prepares more than he's given credit. That's for sure. Dominic Cruz, one of my best friends in the world, uh, excited for him to get, get back on a microphone. Um, Felder's my boy, you know, Rogan on and on it goes, you know, I love all these men and women. And, uh, you know, as much as I enjoyed Brian Stan, you know, or Kenny Florian as my primary broadcast partner back in the day, um, I've sort of wrapped my head and my goodwill around the fact that I'll probably have 25 different combinations when all said and done. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. Michael Chiesa is really good too. Oh, I Chiesa. Chiesa. Hopefully he gets a chance to call fights for sure. Jesus. How could I leave out Michael Chiesa? You're going to get me in trouble. No, Chiesa is a stud. Absolutely. And is just rabid in terms of his interests in MMA, which we love. Yeah. I, I actually think, I think Paul Felder was always a natural at it. Like he went in there and just such a brilliant mind, but I think this year, like, he broke through, like he broke the wall. It was just like, he's comfortable. He's got his own style now. Like he, you, he could have just thrown him in there on a day's notice and he would have done just fine. But now I feel like the confidence is there. I feel like he's flowing well. He's got good camaraderie with everybody. I feel like everybody has their own strength in that booth. Every combination is different, but I think Paul is, I think this was, this was the year of Paul Felder in terms of broadcasting. Yeah. And I think part of the reason he broke through as you're sort of putting it is because he leaned into the comedy a little bit and just leaned into being himself. And part of that is just repetitions. You know, if you go back and watch the first fights that Dominic Cruz called or Daniel Cormier called, you know, I remember rehearsing walks in hotel rooms with these guys, you know, as they had some anxiety about those first repetitions, you know, and so much of it is about reps and just finding yourself and finding your voice, you know, I don't want to go back to 2012 and listen to my first UFC telecast. Never mind my Bellator calls in 2009. Thankfully, that promotion has seemingly purged all of my audio. But, you know, it doesn't sound great, Michael. You know, so, um, yeah, I think Paul really came into his own. And uh, he's a funny prick when he wants to be. I, I hope he continues to let it rip. Love the calling out the USA chant moment during Bilal Muhammad's fight with Stephen Thompson. That was tremendous stuff. Oh, I, yeah, yeah, I love when he gets hostile. It's great. It's so great. A uh, few last things. I, I appreciate the time as always. Um, what's the most intriguing question you have for the UFC in 2022, whether it's division or what, what, what are you giving the you arms know, here? What is know. it? What is it? Well, I mean, Tell the people. I mean, people bang on me and, you know, me and Dana, because they think there's some agenda with Hamza Chimaev. <laughs> going by what we've seen with our, our own eyes, you know, my big question was how many times could he make 170 pounds? You know, was he long for this division? And even though the weight cut was a little bit dicey, you know, I have more conviction now in his ability to make the weight than I did before. I just do. Um, and it seems like his coaches have him of a singular mind that he is chasing welterweight contention and not going to be dicking around at middleweight, you know? So yeah, my burning question is Hamzat Shimaev as elite as he seems to be, as strong and dangerous as he seems to be. And can he work himself into a fight with a guy in Kamar Usman who's something like 15 and 0 in the UFC and one of the greatest, if not the greatest of all time. So that's sort of at the tip of my tongue right now. Um, Bantamweight, very excited to see that. You know, it's crazy that Max Holloway has not been a champion for all this time. Um, so I'm excited to see him and Volkanovsky fight for a third time. Alex obviously has taken it to a whole new level. Adesanya Whitaker too. I, I can't wait, bro. I cannot wait. But Hamzat's the burning question for me. Why have they not booked this Shemayev Neil Magny fight? Like, what is going on here? Neil Magny has been screaming from the rooftops for like 18 months. Give me Shemayev. Give him to me. And everyone keeps saying, oh, no one wants to fight this guy. 
He's been saying it for like 18 months. Give me him. He's still saying it. And Shamayev's calling back at him. Like, why have we made this fight? Is it just, we know. think he's a top, like we just got to throw him in there. It's top five guy at this point. Like I get that if that's where you're going with this, but he's calling for it. Why don't we just give it to him? Can I plead the fifth? Can I plead the fifth? No, I don't know why he hasn't, uh, hasn't gotten the fight. I mean, you know, I kind of felt like if Bilal, after beating Stephen Wonderboy Thompson the way he did, had gotten on the mic and instead of maybe called for a title shot or called for other fights, had just ignored the question and looked into the camera and said, Hamzat Chimaev, let me feel how strong you are, bro. Let's go. See you in February, five rounds, at altitude or otherwise. Let's go. And I think he would have gotten that fight, you know, Um, now he has certainly maximized his time on social media has Muhammad since, but I certainly think that there is a more direct approach to getting that fight. You could ask, why aren't they making that fight? You know, both guys seemingly calling for that fight too. So um, clearly they got something going on with Hamza Chimaev and uh, most of the MMA world eagerly anticipates his next matchup. Yes, I, I agree. I, I said exactly the same thing a couple of weeks ago. I really wish he took that opportunity then to, to get in the, the camera and just be like, Shemaev, let's go. And yeah, he, we'd probably be talking about him fighting Shemaev already booked on, on the books, ready to go. A um, couple of last things. John Madden, man. I feel like every time we talk, like a, an iconic sports broadcaster passes away either the day before or two days before. Doc Emmerich was the, the last time we spoke, and now John Madden you know, the legends passes away. I didn't even know what a turducken was until I watched John Madden do Thanksgiving football games with Pat Summerall. And of course he called the the first Patriots Super Bowl win in 2001 that, uh, that, that just blew me away. And he questioned Tom Brady. Oh, why are they going for this? They should just go. And then they kick the field goal and win the game. Like John Madden, the video game, everything. How did you react to that? And, you know, were, were you a big fan of John Madden? Well, I think we were all deeply saddened, especially because it seemed unexpected. It seemed like even though at 85 years old that he was doing pretty well and it kind of came out of nowhere and was sudden. But what an icon, right? Iconic is is probably the appropriate adjective, even though it almost doesn't feel big enough. Legendary doesn't feel big enough. Um, And certainly as somebody who has now called, you know, or voiced video games for EA Sports, you know, that was obviously a big part of my connection to Madden, right? Growing up playing Madden. And um, and then obviously as a commentator, just as, as good as it gets, you know, um, and anyone who grew up with the NFL in their homes, the way you did, the way I did in the 1970s and the 1980s and 90s, um, he was just a fixture. So, um, no, it's a, it's an unquantifiable loss. Uh, and again, you know, Bill Belichick, who we talk about, and we put on a pedestal. He's all about like, how much do you love football? Do you love football? That's like the big thing when they're drafting guys. And I'm not sure anybody love football as much as Madden. So um, yeah, indelible imprint. And, uh, you know, hopefully my son will have some idea at three years old now, but of what John Madden was all about, because he will be missed. That's for sure. And then last question for me, sir, what's, I mean, you've done it all. I mean, the schedule has been crazy and you're out there doing the damn thing. What's your, what's your broadcast resolution for 2022? Like, is there anything you, 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 I, I mean, you're probably like myself, worst self-critic our own worst we it's hard to go back and like listen to these things because we we pick them apart but is there something that you want that that you feel like you need to improve on or something you want to fix or some goal you want to set for yourself in 2022 from a professional standpoint well it's a good question because one of our producers mike ricci asked me recently like are we challenging you enough sort of as the lead play-by-play announcer are we challenging you enough and 
it made me think about, you know, how challenging these live events are. And every one of them has their unique challenges formatically when it comes to sponsors and different deliveries, different elements off the top of the show that me, that we might be doing. Um, I guess it's just always striving for that perfect show. And certainly you can argue that for me to go do pro football would be a real way to challenge myself, you know. Um, but I guess for me, it's just that striving for that perfect show because we haven't had one and we haven't necessarily been close. You know what I mean? So there's always room for improvement. You know, every time we sort of have any sort of traffic jam, like we're trying to have a no hitter, you know, and sometimes I'll joke with the truck when we lose it, you know, I'll be like, we just lost the no hitter boys, you know, and I'll hit that talk back button, you know? So um, I always tell Kenny Florian, like the hardest thing we have to do is like, listen back to ourselves on the podcast. If we really want to get better, and be more concise. And uh, I guess it's always about being more concise, um, continuing to, you know, provide the best possible soundtrack for the championship moment specifically and uh, not step on anybody's dick in the process, you know. Yeah, great resolution, John. I appreciate it. We, this has been too long since we've been able to do this. Uh, what, what do we do on, do, is this the award show week for, for Anakin Florian? So we just taped an interview with uh, J.C. Santana, strength and conditioning coach for uh, for Gilbert Dorino Burns. We're dark next week, and the awards will be January 10th, uh, in addition to our UFC Fight Night uh, Cater versus Chikadze preview. So off and running, but we have next week off, and uh, largely because my kids are off. So we're going to uh, go try to not contract COVID-19 in South Florida. Oh, yeah, one last thing. Yeah. Our good friend Ian Parker. Look at yeah. this guy. Look at this guy making moves on ESPN on, on these broadcasts doing shows for, for UFC cards. What has that been like for you? That like, I thought about you as soon as I saw that news and it couldn't have gone to a much more deserving person than Ian Parker. This is a guy who has been grinding away in all facets of MMA for so long and to see him get his opportunity, man. It, it just feels good. If I, I was very, very happy for the man. Yeah, it's great. You know, our podcast, as humbly as we can say, it has been a launching pad, you know, for handicapping types in the MMA space. And even though that wasn't necessarily Ian's intention, I think largely he wanted to sort of be the third personality on our show, which Longo had held down. Um, but yeah, I feel great for him. Obviously, he's a sharp MMA handicapper and uh, ESPN got a good one for sure. John, appreciate you very much. Enjoy the rest of your time with the family on this break. And uh, happy new year, man. Looking forward to, to seeing you back behind the microphone in 2022, my man. Always good to catch up with you, man. It actually gets my gears going a little bit. So uh, we will see you in a few weeks from, uh, from Anaheim, California, brother. Just incredible stuff there from John Anik. I can talk to that guy for three, four, five, six hours easily about MMA and combat sports, about life, about broadcasting. Him and I are both big broadcasting geeks both came from the radio side of things john has just been crushing it I, I couldn't be happier for that guy and i remember it's funny i remember being in burlington massachusetts i don't remember what year it was but i remember listening to john anik on am 1510 there's a studio in burlington i think it was called the zone i'm not really sure but it was an AM radio station. I was a big fan of Sean McDonough, who does a lot of stuff for ESPN. Used to be the local play-by-play -play voice for the Boston Red Sox. And Sean McDonough had a show on that station. And I remember John Anik's voice being on there, uh, doing some different things. So it's crazy to, to think back all these years later and, and to see where he's at right now. So big thank you to John Anik for coming in and, and recapping 2021, getting us ready for 2022. He is all aboard the Hamzat Shemaev hype train like a lot of other people are. And I am all aboard the BTL championship finale train because that is the plan 
for next week. Jed Mishu versus Phoenix Carnavale. Looking forward to that. I don't really know what we're going to talk about, but because there's no event until January 15th when Giga Chikadze and Calvin Cater do battle in the first UFC event of the year, and then it's onwards to UFC 270 in Anaheim, the main event for that one. Francis Ngannou defending his heavyweight title against his former teammate, Cyril Gan. What a fight that's going to be. And we'll, we'll, we'll find some things to talk about and debate as this MMA news cycle continues to just go crazy all the time. There's never a shortage of news, and we will have that for you right here next week, hopefully, on Between the Links. So once again, everybody, thank you for checking out the show, not just this week, but throughout the year. Uh, it's one of my favorite shows to do. Anytime I can get behind this microphone and, and hit record is, is a lot of fun. And I was going through this, and I don't know why I decided to do this the other day, but I hosted almost 260 podcasts this year, whether it be just the regular shows, the pre-shows, pre-fight shows, the post-fight shows, the q and I didn't even count the, the pre-fight Q&As because there's another like 40 or 50 right there. Reaction videos, just all sorts of craziness is what a year it has been. I'm very much looking forward to 2022 and all the different challenges and different things that we're going to be able to do and look forward to sharing all of that with all of you. So until next week, everybody, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Between the Links. We'll see you next week. Good night, everybody. Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.